Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Alright, here we go. We're back. This is the Gegenpressing Podcast, our Bundesliga, weekly Bundesliga show. Um, I'm your host, Manuel Feit. And yeah, once again, joined by Stefan Bienkowski. And Stefan, um, I'm kind of sad. I'm happy to be back, but also kind of sad to be back. That holiday went by way too quick. That's sad. Friday, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. Wow, we've seen some pretty good football. Yeah, that's the problem of taking a holiday on a January. January just flies by so quickly, and then February comes and goes, and before you know it, it's March. Um, and yeah, the, the league season will be getting wrapped up very, very quickly, but you have to stop and smell the roses or stop and enjoy the football, which is exactly what we did this weekend. Some really great football in the Bundesliga, some big topics, mm. lots of drama, uh, and I guess we could just dive straight into it, can't we? Yeah, we can. And I mean, we did do on Monday the, the Twitter space, um, on Niklas Süle, and um, we broke that transfer down. I think pretty well. And thank again, thank you for anyone who tuned in or into that, and also for you guys' questions. There were many more questions that we had, and um, I will try to get to some of them this week um, if we have the time. Um, really appreciate the feedback, by the way. I think it's it's really wonderful hearing people listening who listen to the show, hearing their voices and actually showing that they care. Um, that Twitter space, we've actually managed to get it, to wrestle it out of um, out of the, the Twitter metaverse and <laughs> get it onto this podcast channel. So it's actually on. Um, so if you want to listen back to it, um, it's, it's still available. And next time we do this, well, now that we know how it works, we can do it a bit quicker. But um, new things, Stefan. You know, for us, it's Twitter spaces. For the Bundesliga, it's maybe playoffs. And you did a Twitter poll on this this week after Donata Hopfen, the new president of the Bundesliga, suggested that playoffs could be an interesting format to investigate. Interestingly enough, the one team that would probably suffer the most from this format was also the one that spoke out the most positive about it, Bayern Munich. Um, Oliver Kahn saying that this is something that they would find interesting. Um, the rest of the league, not so much. What did you make of the comments? And um, before we jump into the Twitter poll that you did and the comments that we got, what did you make of the entire thing? Yeah, it was really interesting, actually. Um, I thought Kahn's comments were very interesting because, you know, this was all, I think there was also a story in maybe Kicker Sportfield uh, saying how behind closed doors at Bayern Munich, they're now beginning to worry about the lack of competition in the league because they think in the long term it could damage them. Uh, it's interesting that it's maybe taken them 10 seasons to figure that out. But mm. I'm a little sceptical when I hear read stories like this because we have heard we have heard this before. You know, we've heard Bayern saying they're not going to buy Dortmund players because they don't want to damage the integrity of the league. But 
when they really need to, they'll buy RB Leipzig's players and their head coach. You know, so I I kind of take these kind of suggestions with a pinch of salt. Um, the playoff thing really interests me because, as I kind of said on Twitter, like I kind of followed up the poll with my own feelings, and you know, I think if you would have asked me maybe five or six years ago what I thought about it, I would have. You know, like I said, I would have laughed you out of the room. I would have thought there's no place for that in a serious football league. Um, you know, football traditionally, domestic in, in, in domestic football, it's about a league season and the best team over the course of 28, 32, 36 league games, whatever, you, whatever it is, um, you know, they go on to win the title. But we now live in a world in which each European league has one team that are head and shoulders above the rest. And this also this also happens to um, be the case with England as well. It's maybe not as apparent in England, but it it is going to be the case. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it that Manchester City will go on to dominate the Premier League as much as Bayern or Juventus or PSG have dominated their own leagues. And, you know, when... And, and you know we could we could sit here all day and debate why that's happened, how it's happened, and how you try and fix those things. But I I, I do think if this is now a, if the, if this new unprecedented challenge to European football's major leagues um, is set in stone, which I think it is, because you know there's no way we're going to be able to <laughs> stop Juventus or Bayern or PSG from uh, from doing these things unless we nationalise them and break them down into three separate clubs or something. I don't know. Um, we're not going to be able to fix it that way. So maybe it is a case that you have to maybe look at the competition formats. And the interesting thing about German football, in my opinion, is that although Bayern do go on to grind down the opponents and their opposition in the league each season, they do struggle to apply that dominance to the Champions League, which is obviously the case because they're playing much better teams, but also uh, the Pokal. You know, I think yeah. I said they'd won five of the last ten, and obviously this season's one they're already knocked out of it. So I think that'll drop down to about four out of the last ten. And you know, if 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 that if they had that track record in the Bundesliga, nobody would be complaining about the league. No one would be arguing that it's uncompetitive. So maybe a playoff offers that degree of um, unknown. It offers that degree of uh, you know excitement because. On their day, a Leverkusen, a Gladbach, a Leipzig, a Dortmund can beat Bayern Munich. Um, but um, yeah, so I think it's. I'm I'm still not entirely sure if I would be entirely comfortable with dropping the Bundesliga as it is, and and implementing something like a playoff. I think it was very easy for something like MLS because it was starting from scratch. It got to try something different, and obviously within American culture, playoffs are very common. Um, I think it would be. You know, I think the idea of, of, of getting rid of the league system and bringing the playoff is almost like the it's like the big red nuclear button. It's it's what the DFL, it's what the DFB or whatever, uh, the DFL. It's what the DFL would do if they had no other options left. And uh, maybe we're closer to that point than some people in Cologne are willing to admit, but it would still be a huge, huge change to the history of German football. Yeah. 100%. And I have some, some thoughts on this, but I think before I take a stab at this, um, let's read some of the comments that we got in from Twitter. Um, one of them, the first one from Vincent Mancini, 
if some foreign local fans are so tired of Bayern, then they would rather talk about adjusting TV rights and 50 plus one rule instead of changing format, which is just this guys in the issue. Two, three, four teams winning the Bundesliga via playoffs would be deemed champions with asterisks. Hmm. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts on that. Um, Levy, uh, even as an American, I hate the idea. If you can have a fair, balanced schedule, even numbers of games against all opponents, then it should be the regular season winner. Playoffs should only be an unbalanced schedule. Keep the Bundesliga the way it is. Uh, B4B Atlanta, fan club, of course. I would love for the Bundesliga to have parity, but uh, this is not the way and wouldn't even guarantee a higher level of competitiveness. And let me find one more. Um, Johannes Schneider, who actually works for Atlanta United. Uh, I can't believe I'm typing this, but I think it would be good for the league. We have to find a way to keep more teams' fan bases engaged in the title race. I still think that some kind of salary cap would make the field more even, but players wouldn't be the worst idea. And Brian M. Sanders could be the Mexican model or the Belgian model. Yes, playoffs don't always have to look the same way. I agree with that as well. And then final, Drew Shaw, the solution to increasing financial disparity in sport for people to start following their local clubs instead of for the same boring 12 teams on television. If I had an answer to how to do that, I would share it. Okay, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all these. I think all these points are very valid. Um my thought on this is yes, playoffs can have many different forms. Um, Belgium, of Belgium, of course, cuts the league in two. So, so does Austria, and then halves they do the points. Scotland as well. It's Scotland as well, right? And yeah. then halves the points. So um, a six-point Bayern lead all of a sudden could be three, and that would make things more interesting. And you of course, in the second or in the last third of the season, in this case, I guess you would have more of the big teams playing each other, which of course would lead to more um, more chances for Bayern to drop points, which in turn would increase the chances for the other teams that be in the top half of the table to catch up. Um, I think this would probably just serve Dortmund, um, you know, mm. because Dortmund are the team that would probably be the most likely to benefit. Although we're going to talk about Leipzig a bit. Leipzig would probably also love this. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, Looking at the MLS playoff system, the, 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 the MLS Cup playoffs are extremely attractive. Um, they're very, very exciting. Um, they produce very good stories and very interesting games. And, and I know I saw some of the, with the comments about it being done the, no longer the Bundesliga, but the Bundespokal, right? The DFB Pokal. <laughs> but the DFB Pokal is such a great story every year that, mm. in that, that we actually, Bayern still dominated. Right, but instead of winning hundred percent, it goes down to fifty percent, mm. which already makes it far far more interesting. And Bayern Munich are very much prone to produce a result like they did this week against the Bochum or last season when they went out against in the Pokal against Kiel. On a day, they're beatable, right? Yeah. Which is also why they don't win every Champions League, even though on paper, if the Champions League was a league table, they mm. would be the most dominant team. But Unfortunately for Bayern, one bad day and you're out, right? Um, which, of course, is a good argument for the playoffs. And here's my final thought on this. And the Bundesliga was for formed in 1963 hmm. and is the youngest, I think, of the top four leagues in Europe. Um, the Bundesliga, of by course, some by some distance. And before that, we had um, regional competitions and then, a, and then a playoff format to decide the German championship. Um, 
So this isn't exactly as new as some people make it out to be. And I also think, and this is something that I'm always um, think is very important. Sport is entertainment. At the end of the day, this isn't about, you know, um, tradition and all that kind of stuff, but it is mostly sport is entertainment. We watch it to be entertained and we watch it because we want to be excited until the very last moment. We don't want to know how it ends. Mm. And I think that is a really important factor. And to the traditionalists out there, and in German football, there's a lot of them that hate the idea of playoffs. Well, why are you then staying up late at night to watch the Super Bowl? Right? (laughs) It's a, it's a good point. I, I, I have a few points before we finish this up. Uh, number one, um, I love the idea that we go back to the regional leagues because that would mean that Bayern can just play in Nuremberg and Augsburg every season and then it means Dortmund could win their own regional league every season. <laughs> uh, and maybe even Stuttgart could win one. They, they can play Frankfurt or something and Freiburg. Um, second point, I get that a lot of traditional fans would be against the idea of playoffs, but I also think if, say, a Gladbach were to unexpectedly win the playoffs one year and go on to win the title, are you telling me there would not be parades through the city or the town? Or, you know, I'm trying to think of a very traditional club. Let's say say Cologne, okay? Say Cologne sneak into the top six, they get into the playoffs, and miraculously they go on and win the playoffs. Are you telling me that their most ardent, traditional fans would not be celebrating that as if it was carnival all over again mm. uh, I don't believe it uh, I think I think it's a it's a meaningful it would still be a meaningful competition um, fans would a lot fans would love it and if it means that we could have more clubs from around the country can actually enjoy and embrace success then it'd be amazing I think um, however I'm still not entirely convinced by it and the third one is I actually really quite like the idea of the league split. As you mentioned, they have in Belgium, they have in Scotland, they have in Austria. It's usually used in these smaller leagues um, to make up the the fact that they usually have a much smaller league table. So in a lot of these leagues, they maybe only have 12 or 16 clubs. Um, And what happens is in the final third of the season, they they, they cut the league in half and the bottom teams play the bottom teams and the top teams play the top teams. And obviously that would mean that Bayern would then play the, uh, the other, what, eight teams in the top half. Um, and I think that would be very interesting. Uh, I think that would be maybe be a good compromise between a full-on playoff system and you know the traditional league without because it would mean that it it would give it would make things harder for Bayern to wrap up the league title in you know March or April. Uh, but it would also mean that we still have a league system. Um, and but then of course. Say Bayern go into that league that, that that title race with six point lead going into the going into the uh, break or going into the split, it would also mean that Dortmund, Leipzig, etc. would also have to play you know the last seven or eight games against very very good sides. But what happens in Scotland, for example, is it it offers up a third derby. So, uh, for example, Celtic and Rangers, for example, say which we can easily slot in with Bayern Munich and Dortmund in this case, they play each other home and away, and then they play each other one more time in the split. So if there's a split in the Bundesliga, there would be a third the Classicer every season, which would also bring in a lot of excitement and interest as well. Um, and, and I TV thought some revenue, of them... Lots of TV exact, revenue, right? Yeah, and I actually thought one of the most interesting 
comments I actually saw was from Grace Robertson, who she's a really, really good football blogger and writer. And she kind of quote tweeted my poll saying, you know, I'm a very casual Bundesliga fan. I don't go out my way to watch it. However, something like a split or a playoff is exactly the kind of thing that would draw me in. You know, at, at the end of a season when there's, st- when there's stuff still up for grabs, that's the kind of thing that makes me turn on my television and watch the Bundesliga, even though I'm not a fan. So that's those kind of things make me think if the league is really trying to look for a way to get more more eyeballs on the Bundesliga internationally, and it really is, then maybe it is worth considering these things. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. sure the traditionalists are probably already unsubscribing to this podcast now for us even talking about this, but it's I'm an interesting topic. sure, because here is my final thought on this. And I saw... A lot of people talk about parody. If you Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig, the easiest way for you to close the gap to, to, to for the Bundesliga to make sure the gap of like the gap between Bayern and Dortmund and Leipzig and then the entire rest to shrink is to make it easier for Bayern uh, for Dortmund and Leipzig to beat Bayern and win the title. At the end of the day, what is the number one thing that brings in money? For teams, titles. It's titles. It's winning something. And what is the number one thing for you to be able to keep your best players? It's you know you don't you look at someone like Haaland, and you say okay well he's gone because in this league he's not going to win a title. All of a sudden you open up a different pathway for Dortmund to win the title or make it easier for Bayern, for Dortmund to challenge Bayern and win a few of those titles. Some players will say okay well. Yeah, on a normal 34-game schedule, pretty much impossible. With this, hmm, we'll have a chance because on, our, on the day, we could beat them, right? Mm-hmm. And that means if like all of a sudden Dortmund win two or three titles or Leipzig wins a title here, um, that means that they have the ability to say to their sponsors, we won a title last year, you know? Mm-hmm. We have a pretty good chance of winning it next year because all we need is one good game against Bayern. And that brings eyeballs onto the league. It brings money on the league. And that will close the gap between the teams. And this is, I think, something that is, I think parity is the root cause. But you're not going to give get Bayern to give up on money that they're earning right now. You have to increase the ability for the other teams in the league to close the gap. And I think this would do it. Because all of a sudden there's a, is an avenue to win titles and winning titles leads to more money. And I think that's an important factor here. And I, I would, you know, everything that we've discussed, I think should all be on the table. Straight up playoffs, cutting the league in half. And I actually think that's a very interesting prospect because it would lead to more big games, which you can, can sell abroad, right? Mm. And... Um, I think that is something that you shouldn't underestimate in terms of generating revenue. And um, we had Raphael Honigstein on at the beginning of the season, and he said like the Bundesliga should cut down to 14 teams to have more of the big teams play against each other. And um, because of that, they would be the revenue that the league makes would be shared with fewer teams. Well, this kind of would do it without cutting the league further down. Mm. Right? It's an interesting one. I think... It's really worth discussing. And um, I think the league should explore it and find a way to do it. Now, 
Super Cup games in Saudi Arabia, I think that's a no-go. <laughs> <That's, laughs> I'm sorry, but that is just a no-no for me. Um, I just can't and wouldn't support that at all. Um, maybe if you hold it in the US or some other market, sure. But, um, you know, I, I'm right now, I'm watching the propaganda games in, in China. Um, I think countries with a track record, um, a human human rights track record like China or any country in the Middle East shouldn't be holding any games like that. But that's just my own personal opinion. Um, yeah. Speaking of traditionalists, Stefan, Leipzig. Um, <laughs> that was a good performance once again on Friday. And they're now in the top four. And I think they're probably going to stay there. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... I think last week, and I th if we, we, we did speak of this, I thought Leipzig, despite losing, were actually really impressive. And I kind of said that despite the result, I thought there's a lot that fans of the club and the team itself can take a lot of confidence from the way they kind of went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Bayern Munich. And they were perhaps unfortunate not to actually win the game or at least pick up a draw, uh, I would just go so far as to say. Um, they had, you know better XG than Bayern. Um, they had more than enough chances to kind of draw the game. Um, and above all, they had a system and it looked as if the team were just ticking along perfectly. Everyone, everyone was in sync uh, and Tedesco's kind of tactics were really beginning to shine through. And it was no surprise to me that even though Kloner have been a very good side this season, um, Leipzig just blew them away. And it was the exact same system we saw them play against Bayern. They were just wave after wave after wave of attack, but you know a lot of structure and defence. And yeah, I was really impressed once again. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that only Bayern had more points than Leipzig going into uh, this weekend since Tedesco took charge. So of all the of all the points that every club have picked up, um, I think they still will be because this was actually after the Leipzig game, but it's not by much at all, maybe two or three points between Leipzig and Bayern. So that really goes to show, um, I think they probably are the second best team in the league right now in terms of form. And I said at the start of the season that <laughs> I really thought Leipzig were going to challenge for the title. Mm. And in the darkest days with Jesse Marsh, I felt like a bit of a fool, but now Tedesco is showing the world kind of what I thought this team could do because right now, if this was the start of the season, I think everyone would be saying, right, Leipzig are really up for it this season. They look fantastic. Uh, yeah. Narrow defeat in Munich. They could certainly beat them in Saxony. They can do this. Um, but obviously what's happened rules them out. But I would not, I, I honestly would be surprised if they're challenging for second place before the end of the season. So you tweeted this yesterday. Um Points won in the Bundesliga since Tedesco took over. Bayern 15, Leipzig, Köln 13. Um, you had Dortmund Bielefeld at 12. I assume that was before the Dortmund win today, right? So mm. Dortmund would be at 15 now. But um, yeah, I think I think Tedesco has revitalized this, this side. Um, he's playing Nagelsmann football. And I think what I think is is the most impressive part about it. He's rotating quite a bit. Um, he's getting the best out of guys like uh, Guardiola and Kunku. And Kunku was probably the only player who was already clicking under Marsh mm. and has preserved his form and probably even improved on it. Silva didn't score this time, but 
he's such a good player and he didn't do marsh couldn't get him going and um the desk really has and almost another one you know and what i really think is interesting too you look at this this team right now the way that they put together and they have the right head coach now in charge very much so i think tedesco and here's a guy that has completely proven me wrong um has come in he's used the the schalke tactics um secured the defense made them much more stable but it's actually led to an attacking outburst if that makes sense mm-hmm. and i i think he's actually now in hindsight the perfect nagelsmann replacement and you do wonder what would have happened if they had gone for him right away mm. i think the league would no. be in a very different place right now Absolutely, and I think you can always you can also look ahead towards next season. Maybe it's a little early because we're in February, but you know, um, you know, the Leipzig bosses have been out this week saying we're not selling anyone this summer, and Kunku's not going anywhere, Danny Olmo's not going anywhere, uh, Andre Silva's not going anywhere, and if that's true, and they continue playing the way they are, then you know, okay, they had to take a maybe a what six month hiatus. But they're right back to where they were under Nagelsmann, which was title challengers. Mm. Um, and I still stand by what I said at the start of the season. I think on paper they have the second best squad in the league, maybe and potentially one that, and potentially one that's actually almost as good as Bayern Munich's team. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're missing a truly world class player like Robert Lewandowski, but um, they have talent across that pit. They have a lot more depth in Dortmund. Uh, they can handle injuries a lot more. They don't rely on certain players as much as Dortmund do. Uh, but you know, if this 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 could be a title challenging side next season that we're watching get built week on week out. I think key for them, and I think they're now going to make it, is being back in the Champions League mm. because it allows you to keep all your best players. Um, we're talking about closing the gap and parity and all that champions league is the number one thing to do it in the absence of playoffs of course and um i think that them now being poised to finish in the top four and i think the top four as we have it right now is the top four we're going to get at the end of the season um we're not going to have much time to talk about leverkusen but boy were they good (laughs) they were so good um this is a team that's just absolutely blowing me away right now and we should have maybe next week have an episode just on Leverkusen because I think it's so very impressive what they're doing but so is Leipzig Um, you know these are two teams that are doing the most of what they have at the moment even though they not always have been consistent at the start of the season and I think that's quite interesting and really interesting for the league overall because um, obviously it makes it more attractive to watch them in single games. I think the league title is more or less gone, but watching Leipzig and Leverkusen, even though we know they won't be challenging for the title, is actually really attractive at the moment. And the league needs that. And I think if Leipzig finished in the top four and as they said, there's no exit clauses for any of these players. I think Leipzig were quite clear about that, right? That's a hands-off warning to anyone who's snooping around. Um, and I think Nkunku is probably the one, and Dani Omo is the other, that a lot of clubs are kind of sniffing around and wanting to wanting to sign. And I think for them, that was a clear hands-off warning. It's like, no, not this year. We're building something. And I think for me, where where and this is maybe a good transition to the next topic, um, 
while at the same time staying here for a moment. I think what Leipzig have over Dortmund and Bayern, although Dortmund are on a good path of fixing this at the expense of Bayern Munich, um, is defense. There's so much depth and defense there. Once Simakan and Guardiol had the full year of uh, Bundesliga football under their belt. Um, and Guardiol, man, like I rated him so highly already before he came in. And then I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't right away hit the ground running. And I guess maybe I should have known better. A beast. What a great player. Mm-hmm. You know, he has the potential to be- become one of the best defenders in this league. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, maybe this is a good segue to move on to Bayern, but mm. he seems to be getting better every week, and Upamecano seems to be getting worse every week. Uh, <laughs> you know, after being dropped for the Leipzig game. And I had predicted this. For the record, <laughs> I did say that yeah. Upamecano could be a Trojan horse for Leipzig to send to Bayern, and with Guardiola, they got the better player. Yeah, well... You could maybe go so far as to say Konate at Liverpool as well hasn't exactly been lighting things up. Um, But yeah, you know, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting because Leipzig have, they've always had this kind of system in place where they sell one star and they bring two in to replace them and it's worked wonders, uh, which is something that Dortmund haven't really picked up on because if you want to compare, I don't know, the way that Leipzig sold Upamecano and Sabitzer and Timo Werner, they had players already in place to replace them. And not just one, they had two or three. And as soon as one of them worked, great, on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, Dortmund haven't. Dortmund, Dortmund don't have to do this. I mean, I was joking on Twitter about this last night saying, you know, <laughs> Dortmund are going to blow their budget on Adeyemi. Um, which, you know, great player. Maybe he'll be the replacement for Erling Haaland. I don't know. But, like, it, it's just one in, one out, and hope for the best that the one that comes in afterwards is as good as them. So anyway, but I'll, you're moving on to Bayern, I suppose. It was really mm. interesting that, um, you know, after the game, so Open Meccano gave away a penalty with a handball. Uh, Bayern all over the place again in defence. Um, and, you know, I feel like this result has been, it's, it's been threatening to come for a while now. And I think the kind of straw that broke the camel's back here for Bayern was the fact that Manuel Neuer was out. Um, we we always overlook how good goalkeepers are. I don't I don't mean you and I specifically. I think just football fans in general uh, until they're gone. And I actually looked up last night, and in the last five Bundesliga games that Manuel Neuer has missed, which you have to go back like three seasons for because he's obviously never injured, uh, Bayern have conceded ten goals. So, you know, he's just, he's such a, he's such a rock in that defense. And when he does step out, things begin to fall apart very quickly. I know at least two of the Bokum goals were outstanding finishes. Um, but I do, I do think sometimes that week on, week out, I think Neuer covers up a lot of issues in this Bayern defense. I mean, we're talking about a team right now that in the league, are conceding 1.14 goals per game. Now, they're scoring 3.18, so they're obviously scoring a huge amount of goals, but for a team of Bayern's quality to be conceding at least one goal per game seems crazy to me. Mm. Um, it's, 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 Bayern really have the quality to completely shut out teams, and, and they should be racking up clean sheets every single week. But there's something that's not working there. Um, 
you know, you look across that back line, and there's there's just there's 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 a lot of little issues. I think you can you can talk about just about every central defender they have, and there's there's some issue with them. Hernandez, okay, I think he's probably Barnes' best central defender on the whole, but he's also a player who was signed as a central defender and then forced to play as a left back for much of his time at Bayern. He's only now been allowed to come back into centre back because the former left back David Alaba has left, which couldn't be good for his confidence. Hernandez, that is. Um, Jerome Boateng's obviously moved on as well, so that's two players there, and specifically who've moved on who have huge mm. experience. You have Nicolas Sula, who we talked about on the last show or the last Twitter Spaces, which people would have picked up on this feed, uh, who I think is a very good defender, but. He, his head's probably already turned. He's he, and it's it's not just a case that he's decided to move on for a change of scenery. He's decided to move on because he hasn't felt as though he's been appreciated at the club. So can't exactly expect him Wertschätzung, to be Stefan. Wertschätzung. It's a very yeah. important German word. Whenever you yeah. hear players saying he feels like he's not having Wertschätzung, you know something's yeah. bad. Exactly. Um, so there's that, and then of course you then have. Opa Meccano, who, you know, unfortunately for the kid, he's had to step into the side and he's had the Boateng and the Alaba comparisons made from day one because he's literally the replacement for them. And it's we all saw what he was like at Leipzig. He was a very good player, a very young player, but a player that needed coached, a player that needed development, a player that needed, uh, you know, an older player alongside him in Orban who probably helped him through the games a lot of the time. And he stepped into a Bayern Munich team that doesn't have that. There's no elder statesman. There's no senior captain beside him in that Bayern Munich team, but mm. except maybe, what, Benjamin Pavard? <laughs> you know, he's a perfectly good player, but he's not a central defender. None of these guys are really either bona fide central defenders or players who have spent a huge amount of time in that Bayern defence with the experience. Uh, except maybe Emmanuel Neuer. And mm. I think that's the issue with this Bayern team because we've seen it, what, now three or four times, specifically at home, when, or sorry, away from home, you know, Frankfurt, Cologne, now Bochum, where teams decide to actually come at them and they just kind of they just kind of flounder. And my real fear for this Bayern team is that something like this will happen in the Champions League. And if they get turned over by a decent team in the Champions League, the whole narrative around Nagelsmann's first season at Bayern completely flips. Because right now, he's the guy who's top of the Bundesliga, they're scoring goals for fun, people are calling them the, the Munich Globetrotters, Globetrotters, whatever you want to say, and they're still considered one of the favourites for the Champions League. If they get turned over by a Champions League team, as they did against Bochum, against Dortmund, uh, against Gladbach, or against Frankfurt, whatever else, I really do think the whole narrative completely changes and pressure begins to mount on Nagelsmann to really fix this. Mm-hmm. DXG was 1.32 to 3.06 and Bochum 1.42. And as you said, I think three of the goals, Ulreich um, has absolutely no chance. Mm. It's the, I think where it is for me, and I, I want to really point this out. I don't think Ulreich is to blame for the defeat. Mm. And I 100% believe that. But I don't think that Bayern lose to Bochum with Neuer in goal. This sounds like a paradox. But I think <laughs> what what you see with Neuer, when the, when the back line is further up, 
they they just defend very differently with Neuer in goal because they know that that final third is completely covered by him. Mm. And that means that as a defender, you just act differently. And I think that possibly Bayern Munich, you know, this is the first game without Neuer in a while. So, you know, they probably needed some adjustment and Bochum made the most out of it. Bochum explored that space deep really well. They pushed Bayern further into a further defensive position, a defensive area where they clearly weren't quite as comfortable as they usually are because that, that space is covered by Neuer, right? Mm. And that just makes you as a team act completely different. So while Ulrich is not to blame, Neuer's absence still makes a big difference for this team. His goal impact mm. numbers are insane, right? He is a difference maker when he plays. He's probably the only goalkeeper in the world that has such an impact on his side. And that's a mm. massive up when you have him. But when you don't, not good. And I find what's going to come next is really interesting because they're playing Red Bull Salzburg or FC mm. Salzburg as they're known in the Champions League on Wednesday. And that's a team. And I've seen the, the cup game against Rapid Vienna where Salzburg were really good, right? And yes, it's Austria and Salzburg are way above everyone else in, in that competition in, our, in the Austrian Cup, but also in the league. Yes, that's all true. But Salzburg were also very good in the Champions League this year, including against the Bundesliga team, right? German Bundesliga team, that is. Mm-hmm. And Salzburg, they had, you know, Leeds United was offering all sorts of money for Brendan Aronson, for example, Right. And Salzburg said no, A, because of uh, Leeds still owning money to uh, to Leipzig for Augustine, but also because Salzburg are very excited about this Champions League fixture against Bayern. Yeah. That's like a cup game for them because it's, this is a local rival. The two cities right. are 120 kilometers apart from one another. Mm-hmm. And what you have in Salzburg, you have that high press, typical Red Bull game. And in Adeyemi, in Aronson, in Okor and all those guys, you have players that are going to love to explore that final third. And I think that's going to be a really difficult game for Bayern all of a sudden without Neuer. Mm. At, the Salz- at the Salzburg Arena, which, by the way, is going to be sold out because restrictions have been lifted in Austria. I'm really looking forward to this game. And I think you're talking about that stumbling block. It could come as early as this round, Stefan. Yeah. And then afterwards, sure, they've got to fourth at home, but then they go to Frankfurt and then play Leverkusen as well. Yikes. Who, you know, as we talk, not only are we talking about one of the better teams in the league, but also a team who just seem to be scoring goals for fun. Now, I know Leverkusen tend, and we we all know Leverkusen tend to buckle whenever they play Bayern Munich. But as you said, you know they they have a hiccup against Salzburg. Maybe Frankfurt cause a fright as well. All of a sudden, Leverkusen can smell blood. It's interesting. It's very interesting, and you know, I'm not. I'm not going to go so far as to say the title race is back on, uh, because you know, I, I think Dortmund, unfortunately, are just as likely to kind of trip up as Bayern at this point. Mm. Um, but it's very interesting. I think I, I honestly, I look at this Bayern team under Nagelsmann, and it's only his first season, so that's fine. But they certainly don't look like the the unstoppable you know, machine-like winners that we've seen in previous, you know, for years under Heinkes, under Guardiola at times, obviously under Hansi Flick as well. Yeah. Uh, they don't they, they don't quite look like that. And 
part of it's down to individuals perhaps you know not wanting to perform or not being able to perform but i think it's also the fact that they are they probably do just need to bring in some more players next summer mm. or this summer they probably now that nicolas sula's leaving and open Meccano hasn't convinced i think Bayern probably will have to go out and buy our defender which we talked about before you know whether it's rudiger or christensen whatever else but it's really interesting because they look quite vulnerable at the moment yeah they definitely have to bring in a defender i think um Gary Kerry Howe from uh, Sport 1, who we have to have on the show. Um, we'll bring him on eventually. Wrote a really interesting uh, commentary today on Bayern's situation and the fact that Boateng, Alaba and Osule have left. Um, previously, Hummels as well. That's a lot of experienced centre-backs gone. And you're essentially now left with Hernandez, a record buy, who has never justified that that money? Mm-hmm. Um, you left with Pavard. Who do we know what his best position is? I don't, and um, I think he's a great player, but he just hasn't really found his rhythm as as, as in in any of the setups. And yeah, I think there's there's a massive hole to fill, and the market for center backs isn't exactly rich. There isn't many good mm-hmm. ones out there. Right, clubs in the last few years have spent a lot of money on on defenders, and the results have been poor. Not just by Bayern, but by also other teams. I mean, I saw McGuire had another horrendous weekend. So, you know, and he was very expensive. Um, it's not easy to find good centre backs these days, unless you have Leipzig scouting network, of course, and they are very good at this. So, this is an interesting problem for Bayern Munich to have. And I think it's something that they will do have to fix. And I think one player alone is not going to do it for them. And what is going to happen when Neuer does retire one day? You know, one day it's going to happen. He's he's not going to play forever. Um, and I think that's going to bring in a very interesting situation. You know, who was very good in defense today, though. And we should really em- emphasize this point because after a horror show last week, Dortmund actually managed to shut down a top six side in what I think over the full 90 minutes, the minor hiccup where they got helped by VAR, that was probably a very good defensive effort. I thought Dortmund were very good against Union Berlin today. How did you see this game? Yeah, I th- I thought they were tremendous. You know, they really had to bounce back after Leverkusen thumping. They didn't have Erling Haaland. Uh, you know, this was all teed up to be a really difficult game for Dortmund to drop points in. Um, and they didn't. They were they were tremendous. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that Witzel came back into the team. Um, you know, we've had for m- much of this season a situation where, um, you know, Dortmund have kind of played with two, a two-man midfield and Bellingham has been one of those players. And what's that? What that usually has left is that there's been no defense midfielder, mm. and I basically joke about this every week whenever they drop points. I'm like, you know, Dortmund are determined not to play defense midfielder. They finally bring Axel Witzel back, who, you know, to be fair to him, I thought did very well. I actually think he's probably getting on a bit older. He's not looking quite as agile as he used to, mm. but in this kind of game, a weight Union is physical. You know, Union aren't exactly the most quick and technical team in the Bundesliga, so he did a great job in the middle of the park there. And 
I honestly just think the, the kind of confidence and the composure just kind of seemed to seep throughout the side. So much so that I was watching this game thinking, as crazy as it sounds, Dortmund almost sometimes play better without Erling Haaland inside just because... Oh, that's that controversial. That... <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish my point. I'm not saying they're better without him. I'm saying, like, aesthetically they look better without him sometimes because there isn't that mm. same demand or urge to fire up to him as quickly as possible. You know, Mats Hummels isn't yeah. trying audacious long balls for 90 minutes. Um, they obviously had a Kanji at right back, which also meant that, you know, he didn't go, he he never, anytime he went past the halfway line, he got a nosebleed and he kind of re- retreated back in defence, which meant there weren't as many holes. Dahoud and Witzel just sat deep. And I thought Bellingham was really at his best in this game today because we're recording just after this match. And uh, he was able just to have the freedom of the final third. And I thought he, Brandt and Royce just played off each other tremendously well. Poor Daniel Malin, you know, he got on the right he got in the right positions. He was beating his men. Uh, he was picking out passes, but he just couldn't get that shot away, uh, which is a real shame because he had gotten some great chance. He got into some great you know, uh, positions, particularly mm. for the third goal. Um, and yeah, I thought overall it looked like a really good team performance, which we just haven't really seen from Dortmund this season. We've kind of talked about this a lot in the sense that even when they do win games, it's usually because Haaland or Bellingham or Royce has won it for them and the other team has actually probably technically outplayed them. I thought today was one of the few times I, off the top of my head this season that Dortmund have actually outplayed their opposition. And I think a large part of that was because Witzel was back and they're a lot more composed in defence. But maybe because there wasn't that same urge to get the ball to Haaland as quickly. And you can see Royce, Brandt, etc. being a little more taking their time in the final third and it it worked wonders. Royce was tremendous. Mm. Um, You know, you really see... 150th Bundesliga goal. Yeah, and both those goals... We're so good. The first one was, I don't think we appreciate how difficult that goal was. Mm. He has no space whatsoever. And somehow he finishes between Luther's legs. I think that's tremendous. The second one. And here I have some thoughts about Daniel Marlin. I think Daniel Marlin is going to be a tremendous player for Dortmund next year. I think he works very hard to be in the side. And he contributes... And his contribution isn't always obvious, but that second goal he makes happen, you know, by first of all, getting into that position and um, essentially he wins that ball against that own. And we went back and forward and thankfully Chris Williams is in our chat still. And he knows so much about refereeing, um, such a wonderful resource. And he cleared this up for us. A good goal, right? Because Marlon was in possession in, in, that very, in that very moment. So essentially he wins that ball against the Union defender. I think it was Knoche. And um, then Royce gets into that space and scores. And I think that was a tremendous goal as well. And I think Marlon, he works, when he's on the field, his work rate is incredible. And you know what that reminds me of a bit? It reminds me of Lewandowski in his first year at Dortmund, where he also didn't quite click for him. And he had to work so hard to get into the side, stay in the side. And sometimes he was played out of position too under Klopp as a number 10 and all those sort of positions. And all of a sudden it fell into place and there he was and he became a world-class player. I think Marlon, um, a lot of people talk about the price tag and 
you know, how he hasn't really fulfilled his potential. I think it's still going to come and you see it because he works so very hard every single game. And he mm-hmm. strikes me as a player who will make up the price tag because of his work rate. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to become a really important player for Dortmund because as you said, he can he can play in a number of positions even though he is a number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did a piece on him in two weeks ago for my newsletter looking at like his underlying stats. So yeah. his expected goals and his ex- expected assists because even though he hasn't been scoring goals and creating assists per se, uh, he has been creating enough chances and getting into those positions. So, as you say, it's almost as if he's on the cusp of things really beginning to click for him at Dortmund. And it has been hard because not only has he had to come in and out of the team, but usually when he does come into the team, he's asked to replace one of the best players in the world right now. So, that's a lot of expectation. Uh, and you can see it weighing down on him. He's got, <laughs> I mean, if you compare him to like Julian Brandt, who kind of skips around the pitch like a woodland fairy uh, without mm. any real worry in the world. I mean that in a positive way. I think he's a. I think Brandt's a wonderful, delightful player to watch. Uh, but he he could he, he he at his best he looks like he hasn't got a worry in the world. Uh, Malin's the opposite right now, and I felt really sorry for him. And had this result not gone Dortmund's way, fans may have been beginning to pile up on him, but. He's a long-term project. It'll be really interesting to see how Dortmund squeeze him and Adeyemi into the side because I think, uh, I, I can't imagine they'll both be starting that all that often. Although you could certainly make a good point that Dortmund desperately needed a second or third striker in the squad this season because uh, mm. I really don't think Makuku is the guy to step in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all very good. It's, it's great that the worst thing that Dortmund have to worry about is, you know, Malin getting to positions and stuff and just simply isn't scoring. So a very good week for Dortmund as they go into the Europa League uh, mm-hmm. against a Rangers team who, under Steven Gerrard a few months ago, looked very formidable. But they've got a new manager in Gio van Bronckhorst who hasn't really quite got things click, clicking yet. So they may have also picked up a bit of luck in that fix, in that air tie. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I was going to ask happens. you about that, actually. What are your expectations? Because you, of course, know Scottish football a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um it's, I think it's going to be a tremendous game, first of all. And it looks like we're going to have a lot more attendance in place than we had for even these this week's fixtures because German teams are successfully fighting restrictions, um, mm. getting all sorts of stuff overturned in courts. Good for them. It's the right thing to do. So this is going to be probably a pretty attractive fixture now, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, If you... De- like, well... People did ask me. I wrote pieces for for Scottish newspapers at the time when the draw was made, and I said, "I really think a very disciplined Rangers side could maybe get the better of Dortmund because each week they show huge holes in defence and midfield, and under Steven Gerrard, Rangers were actually a very very good tactical side. Um, mm. Obviously, Gerrard moved to Aston Villa, and Giovan Broncos has came in as an as his replacement, who obviously. Not only uh, as a former Rangers player, but is also the player that Gio Reyna is actually named after. So that's an interesting yeah. bit of trivia for you. Um, and yeah, so I, I think, as as I was saying, I think Dortmund have been a bit fortunate here because I don't think Rangers are quite the side that they were, what, three, four months ago. Um, and they should have enough about them to win that tie, especially if Erling Haaland is now back uh, in the squad. But Two very passionate fan bases. I've had Rangers fans in my DMs for the last two weeks desperately wanting to know 
if there's tickets in the stadium, if the pubs are open, if the restaurants are open, where's the best place for a pint in Dortmund, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so I can certainly assure you that their fans are looking forward to enjoying that game. Uh, so yeah, it should be a good tie. And you know, it's interesting because we'll have Dortmund and Leipzig in the Europa League this season, uh, mm. who are two two teams who really should be going to try and win it. Yeah. Well, especially now that Dortmund are out um, of the cup, right? I think mm. uh, Dortmund need to win a title. I know a few weeks ago I said they should probably bin this competition and focus on on the league and the cup. But now that they're out of the cup and the league, I think six it's only six points. But I'm sorry, I just don't see Dortmund being consistent enough to, to benefit if Bayern stumble again. And I think Bayern will stumble again, but I just don't see them benefiting from it. So this competition maybe is it for them. Um and winning in a European Cup, of course, would be a tremendous achievement. Yes, and Leipzig are in it as well. Um, they're playing Real Sociedad. Those games are on Thursday. And then, of course, we have Bayern Munich in the Champions League on Wednesday uh, against Salzburg. Um, I'm really looking forward to this fixture. I was hoping to be there. The good news is, Stefan, apparently Canada is going to drop travel restrictions next week. So maybe there's hope for the return. Um, at the Allianz we'll Arena. Pencil in a Bundesliga game before the end of the season. We can do a live yeah, show. We will. We will. No, actually, that's that's a very good idea. Maybe the Dave People call as well. Um, yeah, that's a tradition yeah. that, that dates back to Chris Williams and I used to do that. Uh, maybe we can entice him out of retirement for this one too. I mean, oh. Who knows? That'd be fun. Um, it'd be <laughs> great fun. I've been poking him um if he's listening to this I, i'll keep poking um but yeah that's it from us um depending on how things go this week i think stefan maybe we'll do a twitter space yeah. um they could be post champions league one perhaps or yeah. something yeah i i again thanks for everyone for listening in on that and the questions were awesome and i know there's more out there so if I get to them, I will get to answer them and um, keep them coming. We really appreciate them. And we're really blown away by how many people listen to the show and um, how many of you come out of the woodworks when we do something that's interactive. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. And, you know, going forward, we have big plans for the podcast about how to expand it. Uh, mm. So, yeah, stay tuned. And as always, we always appreciate your, your feedback and stuff on all these things. And... We get such a kick out of doing the spaces. I think you can tell when we're recording it, we have a laugh. Yeah. And it, it's just great to speak to listeners as well because podcasting, it a lot of times it sounds like we're just doing a lecture and people have to put up with our nonsense. But luckily, a Twitter space, people could join in as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's it for this week. Um, until next time, whenever that is going to be, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.